We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 271 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton. I've been off for about a week now. Took a nice vacation, but with me again today is Emil Evanesian. How's it going today, Emil? Good, Dan. How are you doing? How was, how was the vacation? How was the break? It was okay, but you know us content creators, when we're supposed to be relaxing, we're supposed to be doing other things. We're constantly yeah. trying to think of what we can do when we get back, and so now I'm back, and I thought a good way to ease myself back in was a podcast that I've done 270 times before. So right, let's start with an easy topic, too. I, I don't want to jump right into the post-vacation, you know, yeah. we'll say the, the, the melee of all the different news we have. So we're going to start with the away jersey reveal, and before we talk about what was what it was about and the complications of it what did you think of it just visually so like in a vacuum i actually kind of like it i mean just the the color scheme like the the super like that really gentle like super light the the purple you know or violet or however we, we want to call it lavender uh periwinkle yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i don't hate it i mean I, like in a in a vacuum i think it looks fine it's just as a barca jersey i think it looks weird you know like it just and i know the you know the bars the away kits aren't black like it's they've gone with all manner of different different colors before but this one just sort of felt just a little bit odd yeah like i don't think it's i don't think it's terrible looking i mean i i like it more than i like the home kit but but it just it looks strange as a barca jersey or i think the one thing that i like really dislike about it and i know this kind of goes into the to the motivation for the for the shirt is that the crest doesn't have the the blue and red. It doesn't have the the black ground. It's not the the classic colored crest, and so just the whole thing felt a little bit almost disorienting in in terms of its color scheme. But it's like a weird thing. I was actually showing it to my wife, and she was looking at it, and you know, she was like, "As a Barca kid, she she called it uh, uninspiring." Mm-hmm. But I could see if any number of other clubs had that as their away kit. I could, I could see myself looking at it and thinking, you know, hey, that's not bad. That could actually be kind of sharp, but it's a little bit strange as a Barca kit. How about you? I actually, I do like it. I, I wouldn't say I really like it, but I, I mean, hot take. I think the away kits over the last 10 years have been better than the home kits uh, year in and year out. I think with the home kits, you yeah. kind of get surprises and not yeah. all those are good. <laughs> and with the away kits, I think mo- many of those have been 
pretty inspired, but if anything, they've been a little more simple. And I think that's what fans have been calling out for a long time now. I thought this past year's home jerseys were simple. I liked those. But, I mean, of the last 10 years even, I think I've really liked the away jersey 7 of 10 times more than I've liked the home jersey. Just because, you know, I wasn't a big fan of the Croatian squares. I wasn't a big fan of the uh, the horizontal the ones that uh, the horizontal hips. I, I hated those. Right. Yeah. And so you're kind of left with I, looking I at the I love the one in between those where it was um it wasn't so much the the burgundy stripes, but it was the the thick red and blue vertical yeah. stripes. I really like that one a lot. And I think it might have been the same year or a different year where um I love the away kit where it was the deep burgundy with the like the neon orange, mm. like that one really kind of spoke to me. I actually really dug that one a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm of the hard stance, get neon out of my club. Uh, that's uh, <laughs> as much as, as much as everyone argues about Bartomeu out or Coleman out, or as much as you could say out, I always say get neon out. <laughs> no <laughs> neon. Yeah. That's the only hard stance I take, but all right. Anyway, <laughs> more importantly, I think about this away Jersey, what we do want to mention too, it is in honor of the Celestio Ciutat at Barcelona which was a group of women we saw in the reveal that played against Unio Esportiva Centeas on Christmas Day 1970 at the Camp Nou in front of 60,000 people. They were coached by Antoni Ramayets, the old Barca goalkeeping legend. Though because they were not part of the club, they did not wear the colors or use the name. So I do want to just speak here about how media and how these big clubs and organizations have to present their news and present their information. So... It's a definitely an important thing, and not even important, but I, I think it's a good message that both for the women and the men, that this is supposed to be really a women's kit, that this is in honor mm-hmm. of the women that paved the way for the team that has become a professional team just in 2015 and now has won the treble in the Champions League. So to have the men wear a jersey because of the women, I think is a really important step for the club to take. I, I think it's a it's it's a good look. It's not. I mean, the color light purple is not for men or women. It's for all people. And I think it, right. again, it looks really sharp. I think whether cool. I was wearing it, when my wife was wearing it. That said, I think the important thing too is the fact that Barcelona does have an opportunity, and I hope they continue to do this. I'll be on their Twitch stream parroting and, and yakking off all gear, so you can hear me uh, about the talking about the fact that you can't, even though the history was not what it should have been. I mean, denying those women the opportunity for professionalism and not putting the financial backing that they deserved in 1970 and waiting all the way until last decade to do that. And it's not just Barcelona. It was all of football associations all around the world. So it's not just Barcelona. But I mean, the one thing I would say is that I hope that Barcelona continues to own their history and say, hey, we kind of messed up here. We didn't give women the chance they needed when they deserved when we could have, and in the last 10 years we have, and we've been a leader in that category. And I think, again, yeah. the treble, the financial investments, and now this away jersey are all steps for Barcelona to be the leaders in women's football. And that is something I'm proud of. That's Mescaline Club to me, and that says that Barcelona are on those values. So uh, I'll let you respond to that. And then real quickly, I want to do the uh, some of the updates to the Barca Femini this year, because they have made some changes too. Yes. So I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean, I think the... I understand like it's um, idealistically, you know, and because I feel the same way that, you know, the, these women played sort of under the Barca umbrella, but were not allowed to wear the colors or, or use the name, which is, it, it was 50 years ago. So I don't know what the, we can, we can surmise what the world was like, but, but that stinks, you know, that they couldn't just wear, wear the crest, wear the colors and actually just be 
FC Barcelona Femini or, you know, whatever they would have been called at the time. The the ideals of the club are sort of the, the historical ideals and sort of, I think, a lot of what, aside from all the sort of the, the financial heavy lifting, I think a lot of what the sort of the bringing back Juan Laporta and what he's kind of been been espousing and what he's what he kind of ran on and what he I guess will ultimately be judged on in this in this tenure is the ability to kind of reinstill those those principles and those kind of core pillars of what the what the masculine club and you know what the what the Barcelona philosophy is thought to be. And it was based on sort of the international club. Because here, like when you speak to Espanol fans, they will say like Espanol was the club of the Spaniards at the time. And Barcelona was, they were bringing in foreigners from all over the world, all over Europe and everything. It was a message of kind of, you know, we're not so much the outsiders, but we're, we're the group of, we're the, we're the club of everybody. We're, we're from all over the world and we, we have diverse backgrounds. And I think inclusiveness and promoting and just really supporting not just lip service but kind of meaningfully supporting the the women's clubs and you know i think that that goes hand in hand with that and that needs to be a part of it yeah. and so i do think that this thing happened 50 years ago and you know it's cool that it happened 50 years ago but i think it is really cool that they are so front putting it so front and center that they are kind of calling that into question because the good thing about that is as the story of these kits is, even if there's a small blog post or just kind of small asides about what the kit is about, people will Google that, you know, and people will sort of take, you know, some people will take a curiosity and they'll, they'll learn what this was and kind of what this is all grounded in. And I think that's fantastic. And so it's a step, you know, it is, yeah. it's like, it's another, it's a brick in a very large wall that needs to be built in recent years. Barca has shown a, a real commitment to to the women's team. And, you know, I mean, I think all of this is kind of just to show that, and not just we're going to pour money into, you know, kind of the, the women's team, or we're going to promote the women's team, but we're going to promote women playing football throughout history. We're 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 going to shout it out. And we're we're going to celebrate when it's happened in the past. And ideally, we're going to support it and set a stage for it to to continue and to to grow and thrive going forward. So in that sense, the, the, the inspiration behind the kit, I think is fantastic. So in, in that sense, kind of, we, we talk about the aesthetics, I think like where, where it's coming from is a very good place. And again, I mean, like you said, it's, it's a, it's a springboard, like it, you know, this isn't any kind of mission accomplished, but it's, it's yet another thing that you can do to support to support the growth of this game among four women and, and their opportunities to succeed within it. Yeah, I mean, we just went 10 minutes on this. And the truth is, for fans who listen to this, that don't really care too much about the feminine yet. They will just see a purple jersey. And you're right. That's it. They won't think twice about it. And that's okay, too, if those aren't ready yet for um, embracing the women's side. But again, Barcelona giving those opportunities to learn. And so before we move on, to talking about the men's first team in the preseason. I want to mention some of the updates to the Femini. The Vicky Lasada and Carrie Hamraoui, they are out. They've gone to Man City and PSG, respectively. The big one is Luis Cortez, the manager. I've been building up to this. He is, well, he's been out now for a few weeks, and Jonathan uh, Geraldez is now in charge. He was an assistant 
and now he's the head man. But as you mentioned, international players have come in. Norwegian midfielder Ingrid Engen has, re- has come to the club for the first time. The first Swedish player ever is now with the club. Swedish winger Frindelina Rolfo and Spanish defender coming over from PSG Irene Paredes. That's one that I had teased months ago because originally there were rumors and you know musings that she'd be coming from PSG long before those two matched up in the Champions League. So those three joined the club. Rolfo, for a quick one, is a bit more industrious as a winger than Graham Hansen or Martins, who are more go at the wing backs, go at the full backs, and attack, attack, attack. Uh, Rolfo is, uh, again, much more industrious, much more defensive. I'm hoping she fits in. I think it'll be a question on how Barcelona want to play and the different wrinkle that she could add than the other two primary wingers. So right now, there are, with a lot of young players fighting for spots too, I think the team still might have about three or four players too many, definitely a few too many forwards. So I'm not, mm. I won't be surprised if their transfer business is not done yet. And don't be surprised if a big name wants out to be the primary starter elsewhere. That's just the rumblings I've heard. That's what I've, I've seen. So their transfer business is not done, but a team that won the treble has gotten stronger. That is the uh, too long, didn't read there. So let's move now and shift gears to talking about the first team and their preseason match against Gymnastique coming up on Wednesday, so two days from now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you, just in the big overarching thing, if you're, I'll get into the names, I'll list all the players that are going to be there, Emil, but big picture, what do you want to see from Ronald Koeman against Gymnastique on Wednesday? I mean, because it's preseason, we're going to overthink it, we're going to overanalyze it, and we're going to make it mean more than it does. Totally. (laughs) Um, And I look forward to doing that. But... The spine of the team, I mean, these aren't kind of meaningful minutes for the veterans. I mean, because the thing is, guys aren't even necessarily getting back into game shape because it feels like they barely just stopped playing. So it's yeah. it's not like guys have had a long off season and they need to sort of get the engine fired back up. I mean, I think more than anything, I'd like to, I mean, I want to see a hint of sort of, of depth and I think, and in certain areas, in particular, kind of in the midfield and, you know, in parts of the attack, but I'd say, you know, largely in the midfield, where over the last, what, two, three, four years, kind of Barcelona wound up with a little bit of a, not so much a hodgepodge, but kind of a, a log jam and just so many players. And it was, you know, you get guys who are out of favor or, you know, you get guys who fans in the media are clamoring to see playing more minutes and things like that. 
I mean, I know this is only going to be one game. It's one, it's one friendly and it's one exhibition. The notion is it, it'd be, it'd be nice to know. And I think this is also true in attack because the defense is a whole other kind of situation where we need to figure out what that's even going to look like when, when the season comes around, kind of who's going to be on board and who's going to be gone. I, I'm less concerned about sort of the, the, the implications for the starting 11 so much as I am kind of, I'd, I'd like to get a sense of kind of comfort and calm that there's depth behind. There's just sort of competent, stable depth behind, or, or at the very least, just kind of the, the framework of that. Where, whereas we're not kind of always trying to integrate some, you know, sort of big money signing that may or may not have even fit at any point, but we got him anyway. And so we have to figure out what to do with him. It's funny, I've actually thought about this. There was a, and no one wants to hear about someone playing video games, but there was a, a few, maybe three or four years ago, you know, I got the, the FIFA game and I was playing the, you know, the, the career mode. Mm-hmm. And you'd like, I played with Barca. And, you know, I'm like most people, it's fun to buy people in the transfer market. And I wound up with this weird midfield of like eight midfield superstars. Like I had like, you know, Tiago and Pogba and Koke and like, and on top of that, I had Busquets and everything else. And it just kind of feels like that now, except these guys aren't pixelated video game characters. So they are people with agency and emotions who are frustrated and, you know, yeah. want to get on with their careers and their lives. And so I think, you know, that's one of the things that's happening is, you know, they're trying to sort that out at the at the top end with the, with the big money guys. But it's still, like, there's going to need to be backups and depth and support for whoever winds up being the the starting, you know, the top three, four yeah. midfielders that, that are the frontline guys. And I want to see a sense of that. I just want to feel a sense of calm that when a guy needs a rest or someone gets banged up a little bit or something like that, or, you know, yellow cards accumulate and that there's someone that can step in and just do a job. You know, I mean, if, if a star emerges, that's fantastic. But right now I'm not even trying to kind of shoot the moon like that. It's just, if there's just sort of good coherent depth and just sort of fluidity in the play and just kind of a, a conceptual kind of buy-in and understanding what of what the team is trying to do. Well, I think due to the international break, uh, not even international break, sorry, but the international tournaments this summer, yeah. we are seeing a much more B-team heavy preseason yeah. squad than we normally do, especially in comparison to the last two seasons. Mm-hmm. So they haven't really released any real lists about who's available in training, but just doing a process of, emulation, of elimination of who's not there, you can kind of figure out who's going to be available for this preseason friendly. So there looks to be Neto, PK, Umtiti, Dest, Roberto, Pjanic, and Puj from the first team. Again, that's Neto, PK, Umtiti, Des, Roberto, Pjanic, and Puj. And then from the B team, it's unfortunately not Kais Ruiz, Came over from PSG. I wanted to see him, but he is out with COVID protocol, which seems which seems to be the same fate for 19-year-old center back Santi Ramos Mingo, who was injured for most of last year with Barca B, unfortunately. But Inaki Pena, Arnau Tenas, center back Arnau Comas, Alejandro Balde, who it seems to be with his contract renewal underway, so that is good news since last week. Yep. Nico Gonzalez, Alice Callado. 16-year-old Gabi, who, for those who've been listening to this podcast, and particularly listening to the one with Naveed, know that we have talked about Gabi before. So to see him with the first team is not crazy. I know he's 16, but that's not insane if you've heard us talk about him before. And the new signing, Yusuf Demir, they're all part of first team training. So by my count, that's 15 total players, three of which are goalkeepers. So there could even be more B-team players on Wednesday, but I'm assuming all of those I mentioned already will feature in some way 
uh, shape or form against him. Nastique. That said, Memphis Depay, as we speak, is finishing up his medical. So I, I think he will also likely. I mean, he again, as you said, he played two, three weeks ago for the Netherlands. So I, he will be probably in that match as well, making his Barcelona debut in that preseason friendly. So I think what we will see, this is my starting 11 here. I think we're going to see experience mixed with youth. So Neto yeah. in net, I can see Dest at left back to start. Umtiti, believe it or not, I know the club wants him out, but I could see Umtiti starting instead of Comas because Santi uh, Ramos Mingo, Matt, rather, is on the shelf. Right now, so again, you're only really talking about Arno Kamas. So I think Umtiti yep. will still start, even though they're trying to sell him. Maybe use that preseason friendly, send that tape around the world. Well, uh, almost like that's that's your one shot to kind of like you, you just hope right. he, you know, you, you hope he captures some of the old magic, and you can just kind of snip that video and just be like, see, he still got it. <laughs> yep. And then uh, next to Umtiti, I think it'll be PK, as I said, and then Sergio Roberto coming back from injury will play right back most likely. And then the midfield, I think you have Pjanic. Nico Gonzalez playing the pivot and Ricky Poos the midfield trio. And then mm-hmm. up top, I think it'll be Yusuf Demir and Alex Callado up on the wings. And then probably Memphis to buy starting in the middle. If not, and Memphis is not ready to go, then maybe it's Callado with some kind of false nine with Dest out wide and Baldy as a left back. So whether or not they play a 3-5-2, whether they play a 4-3-3, uh, I expect to see some combination of, of everything that I just mentioned. But yeah, I, I think it's time. Let's do the Yusuf Demir thing. He was signed on loan for one year with a 10 million euro option to buy. He's an 18-year-old Austrian who came up through the Rapid Vienna youth system, playing 38 times for Vienna's first team since 2019, scoring nine goals and four assists. He's all he's played across the entire front line in his time with Rapid Vienna, but his most comfortable position is at an attacking midfield spot, basically pulling the strings. And, yeah. you know, of course we saw that people were calling him the new Pedri. But actually, Kaiser Ruiz, coming from PSG, plays a much more similar style and in similar positions to Pedri, where being on the left wing, that being Kaiser Ruiz, being on the left wing as Pedri was for Las Palmas, but also being at his best in the middle as a left interior. Demir is much more of a guy who's going to play farther even up the field than Pedri was even comfortable at Las Palmas. He is kind of a forward. He is kind of a winger, yeah, but he, yeah. I mean, he is a number 10. He's really, I mean, if everything I, I, I watched of him that I could, and many of it was just highlights. I mean, even his Austrian debut, I tried to watch just five minutes against the Fairway yeah. Islands and, and no disrespect to the Fairway Islands. Actually, a credit to them. They ended the game 3-1, but again, he <laughs> only got 5-1. So the only real game I've seen him in the entirety of the game was December 2020, a Europa League game against Arsenal, which Arsenal won 4-1. Now, in that game, Demir didn't get too much of the ball. And honestly, I didn't learn much from it (laughs) of what I saw. I mean, at the time, I think there might have been one whisper about Demir potentially coming to Barcelona as of December, Mm -hmm. or that might even been March. Um, But he was 18, so I was watching for a young prospect in that kind of match. That's what I usually do. And he isn't even that tall, basically the same size as Pedri, but very Mm -hmm. much like Pedri, very much like Puj. He does a really good job of putting his body between the opponent and the ball, and he knows how to draw a foul. So let's start there. But what I did like in that Arsenal match is that he wasn't afraid to dribble into space. He basically, mm-hmm. I think, at Rafaela was given a green light that he probably won't get at Barcelona if you ask Trincao <laughs> or some of those other players. But what I did see, too, is that though he did get himself in trouble with dribble sometimes, he did make the early decisions with a pass as, he's, as he was receiving it quite often where he, he knew where to play that pass, and it was often the right decision whether it was a 15-yard pass straight up the middle. And his, his forward passing seems to be good, and it seems to be, again, usually the right decision, which is something that you tend 
not to not only be able to teach, but it's also a skill that translates well for an 18 year old. So those are the things that I, I think are going to work out. The big question that you and I were discussing, though, here before before we started recording is that between I know Kaiser Ruiz is in pro- COVID protocol, but he could still do some of the first first team training. But again, he's 18 yeah. and had played first team football with PSG. So Kaiser Ruiz, you have Demir, who, again, is one of the biggest prospect in world football that Barcelona were able to get on loan, potentially for a 10 million dollar buy, a 10 million euro buy. And then you have Pedri as an interior. And then you have Ricky Puj. You also have an attacking midfielder from Granada, 20 year old Antonio Aranda. So you have at minimum three players who could play it to, and Gabi as well, who could play for Barca B as an attacking midfielder. And then adding Puj needing time for the first team as well. That's now five attacking midfielders between the ages of 18 and 21 years old, which I, th- I think is quite interesting to have uh, yeah. four different players that profile at the number 10 spot. And yes, probably only one of them will be not even a consistent starter because Busquets and De Jong and Pedri are the starters. Nico Gonzalez and potentially Hondra Orion if he resigns, which he has not yet done. Maybe he will. So that guy is going to be the pivot. But you're not going to replace De Jong or Pedri for 10, for 10 years at this instance. That said, no. the depth of the attacking midfield, I'm interested to see which of those players not only become the regulars and the starters and the heroes for Barca B, but which players, most likely Demir, push into the first team picture first. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, kind of like you, I mean, I haven't seen Demir play kind of when I say live, I don't mean in person, but even just kind of in, in real time or sort of with with a great deal of kind of consciousness of, of who he was. His was a name that I had heard. And then when he became real for for Barca, I kind of, you know, as we do, I, I took to YouTube and kind of tried to try to glean what I could. And my takeaways were kind of similar to yours in that he is sort of he's a good distributor. And I think a lot of his sort of the, the flaws in his game or the mistakes that he makes tend to be more from youth than from kind of some sort of like innate misunderstanding of how to, how to play the position. So I think with that, I mean, he needs, he needs reps. He needs, he needs time and just time against the higher competition. And because I do think that, and I mean, you know, we're probably going to wind up talking about this a little bit, but I mean, just kind of once we get an idea of what the what the squad itself is going to look like for the La Liga season, you know, if if they're able to clear out some of the some of the big money in midfield, there's some logical there's logically just going to be some some spaces opening up, and so even if he just spends time with the senior with the senior club, almost irrespective of, of just how many minutes he gets, ideally you'd like to see him get some. But just simply being involved and training at at kind of the highest level and with, you know, with guys with the skill level and and honestly, just the experience and wisdom of, you know, Messi and Busquets and Piquet and, you know, those guys and just hanging out with De Jong and, you know, hanging out with Pedri. Like it's that's going to help him just in his just kind of in his development and his evolution. And so, I mean, I'm he's one guy that um, is. Absolutely fascinating to me. Also, uh, Nico Gonzalez is yeah. of of great interest. I'm I'm fascinated to see yeah. kind of how how he plays in in the role. I mean, if they you know if it, if the lineup is kind of as you as you laid out, which makes a lot of sense, I'm really interested to see kind of how he slots in there and what what his comfort level is, sort of just jumping in and and playing that role. Yeah, I'm interested to see him in front of PK because usually he'll yeah. drop even deeper in support of Comas 
and mm-hmm. in front of Ramos Mingo, whoever it may be, it was Roger Vieira a lot last year too at the end of the, the in the spring. And so I'm interested, yeah, to see Nico Gonzalez and playing in front of PK most likely, and what yeah. that experience behind him does for mm-hmm. him as a, as the defensive midfielder. Yeah, so I, I think of that. I also want to remind people when it comes to Champions League this year, maybe some in the Liga, but as I as I always say, mm-hmm. that I prefer they playing with Barca B than they are sitting on the bench for the Liga, uh, unless the coach yeah. does plan on playing them, and it's not very mm-hmm. conditional. Because I think there were times where, and it kind of not ruined his fall, but Conrad de la Fuente was night and day better in the spring for Barca B than he was when he was fluctuating between the first team and the B team and sitting on the bench in every La Liga match and then never made his La Liga debut. And he sat on the bench like 16 times last year, only coming in in the Champions League. So he did make his first team debut, but it was never in the Liga, that being Conrad de la Fuente. And, you know, these players don't like to just sit. I mean, it doesn't matter what a 17, 18, 19-year-old, 20-year-old wants but we know that development-wise, it's not great for them to be sitting on the first-team bench and never featuring, and especially if they're playing in first-team training. Like, Yusuf Demir is going to be in first-team training, even though he'll be with yeah. the B team. He's too good for the Spanish third division. That said, I want to remember, for Champions League, instead of Mateus Fernandez, who, with the extended with the extended bench in the Champions League, Mateus Fernandez was on the bench for almost every Champions League match. I want to remind you that he was not injured this year. He was available yeah. all the time. And, and he had his shin pads, he had his cleats, and he was sitting on that bench. That spot now is going to go to a young player. It's almost a guarantee. Even yeah. if they bring somebody else in, and even if they can't get Pjanic off the books, it's going. that spot is going to go where instead of knowing that Mateus Fernandez isn't going to come into the game, let's say Barcelona really turn something out, you know, turn up the heat. And now they're winning 4-1 or 4 nothing in the 85th minute. Now you're talking about debuts that Mateus Fernandez just wasn't going to get. He was 22 years old. It wasn't going to make any sense to play him even for one minute, other than the one game he played against Dinamo Kiev for, what, 15 minutes, just right. to see him, you know, having made this 8 million euro move and to finally just get on the field for, for good measure. So, yeah, I expect to see a lot of the veterans. But that said, I mean... The list that I mentioned are names that I've been excited to see for not even a while, but I mean, Gabi is, how do I say this? I don't want to overhype these players. I'm always very careful about overhyping the players, but there is in this batch a bunch of players that for a while now we can see have first team potential. So Gabi, he's 16. Don't worry about it. Just let him make his preseason debut. It'll be fun. I'm really excited to see him. I'm really excited to see him playing again uh, next to veterans, playing next to talented players. So Gabi is certainly of the level of the Spanish third division or higher, and he's 16 years old. I'm excited to see him. And in three years, I think he has a potential to be a member of the first team, maybe even two years. Who knows with him? Maybe even next year. I mean, he could debut this year. He's that good. Then Alejandro Balde, he's the best left back prospect that Barca have had basically since Juan Miranda, uh, and we know his story. And he's still a first-team professional at Real Betis. So Balde yeah. is going to be a first-team professional somewhere. He's still just 17, so again, wait on him. That said, he could be the backup for Jordi Alba as soon as this, this spring if he really yeah. progresses uh, quickly, and he could even get spots in the fall if he is able to make his debut. Uh, Arnaud Camas had a really good season last year. I'm not sure what his long-term prospects are. Ramos Mingo is the one with a little more potential. But again, Kaiser Ruiz is a guy with a lot of potential. Demir, as I said, is one of, I mean, the preeminent attacking midfield prospects in world football. And then Kayato, on the other side of it, 22-year-old who's waited his turn. And it's finally his turn. It's He's a player yeah. that players have been pining to see. And again, Ricky Puj, 
can he finally, after some discussion from Laporta and Kuman, can he finally become not a guy that plays 10 minutes, but a guy that comes off the bench and plays 35 minutes? That's what you're wanting, right? right? You're just for Pooch. You're arguing for the extra 15 minutes in every match. So can he stake that claim? And as you mentioned, of all this whole bunch, Nico Gonzalez is the one that Kuman seems to be speaking about the most, at least behind closed doors that is leaked to the media. And so to see him become, we've waited for a long time for the heir apparent to Busquets. And right. if, if it truly is Nico Gonzalez, well, obviously I'm excited to watch that. So yeah, I mean, I think this is a, this is a group of prospects that of the, of this bunch, you know, Frances has said it many, many times. If one of the eight or 10 or whatever in a generation make it, then that's a successful generation because of the big money signings that Barca makes. But with their financial problems, if you can get three or four out of these seven, that I think and these are guys right that I do with the potential can, to do that. And right now you kind of need three out of seven, you know, just kind of given the given the situation. And because that was part of my thought when you uh, when you listed off kind of the the five young, uh, what was it, between sixteen and twenty one year old attacking midfielders. Yeah. I mean, my thought was, you know, kind of in a vacuum, we look at each of them, and they all have the potential to be very good players and very good pros. And in my mind, I was just thinking, let two of these guys hit. You know, and let the rest of them just be solid pros. And, you know, maybe you sell them to, you know, whatever happens. They get loaned out, they get sold out. But if you get two guys who who hit and kind of maximize 80, 90 percent of their of their potential, you've you've really got something. And, you know, it's kind of the, the same situation. There's there's a couple of defenders and, you know, you just need one hit and at least when you can lock down one position at least that's that's a thing that sort of for one january or one summer at least like we don't have to worry about that mm-hmm. you know we have this is a thing that we have so we, we can we can start we can start trying to address other needs but i i totally agree and i think that's the thing with nico gonzalez too is like sergio busquets is still sergio busquets like he's brilliant you know he doesn't you know he doesn't move quite as you know quite as well or quite as much but you know he's still kind of that guy like he's he's a maestro and he sees the game and he sort of feels the game in a way that very few people ever have but there's going to come a point where just you know age and time and wear and tear do their do their dirty work and you know he's not going to be able to suit up for 80 85 minutes 60 times a season and the fact that there is someone that you can at least kind of realistically dream on being a a reasonable facsimile of him and kind of where the, of course there'll be a drop-off, but the drop-off won't be so stark. And maybe you gain a little bit physical, you know, kind of in, in energy and stamina that, you know, where, where you might lose in kind of innate brilliance and, and experience and knowledge. And so I'm, I'm very excited to see if there is sort of a, a vision for the future of, of the, the Barca midfield and kind of the, the defensive midfield role there. I mean, the point of Busquets, I, I'm interested as well to see how similar this Barcelona team this year, just looking at the way the roster has changed ever so slightly, I think that it would behoove Ronald Koeman to look at what Luis Enrique did for Spain and try to play as similar to that as possible. I mean, you look at how good Pedri was for Spain, how good Busquets, I mean, night and day was Spain when Busquets came out of COVID protocol. So starting with that second game, and after the pre, I mean, so the lead up to the Euro, those friendlies, Spain looked yeah. not great, not like a favorite. And then the first game they, against Sweden, they struggled. 
And all of a sudden, here comes Busquets. And from there on out, every time he was on the field, which is every minute, basically, they were the better team. They were the better side. Even against Italy, they were the better side. And they lose on penalty. They were an attacking juggernaut when when Busquets came in. And just, you know, I mean, in terms of creating chances, I mean, they... Ever the ever the problem, like they needed to to deposit some more of them in the yeah. goal, but like, and and, but, and Barca won't have a number nine. Crazy, yeah. I mean, Barca won't have a number nine either. But if you replace Danny Olmo, and again, no disrespect to Danny Olmo, but if you replace Danny Olmo with Lionel Messi, now right. you're talking about you're talking about wins. You're talking about a, a really dominant side, and yeah, I mean, part of me says that Pedri is. I, I did this, what, last week or two weeks ago about how he can improve and how he can get better. And it's just doing the good things that you see him do and doing those more and doing those right. consistently over the course of 90 minutes and just being a game breaker five, six, seven, eight times a game instead of just two or three, which is what he does now. Mm-hmm. So it's just being more consistent because of how solid a player he is. And the one wrinkle to the midfield that we have to consider again is as we as this will be the last segment in the show, Griezmann, Saul, that deal... It seems to be dead, but then it's also alive, depending on which important journalist you ask. Uh, and it right. seems like everybody has a scoop on this one. I mean, really, uh, all the big dogs and all the big dogs on social media have a seemingly have some kind of connection because Atletico Madrid and their president, he's known to like to leak things. And then Barca on on the other side, you know that they're uh, I mean, even you can change the names and the faces and the presidents, but Barcelona love to leak. It's something that they do. But that said, it's not all Barcelona, too. So there's this Renato Sanchez rumor, too, that, you know, that likely his agent, Jorge Mendez, if you ever heard of him, of course, the super agent, uh, he is using Barca's name, as he always does, to try to up the asking price for his client. But it was apparently a two-year loan with a commitment to buy, which seems absolutely unlikely based on how Barca and Laporta are currently doing business. And it's interesting, though, because it it is sad. The sad part of this for me is not the idea of Renato Sanchez. It's that league winning Lille have been absolutely gutted this offseason with their roster. Just as that Champions League semifinal Monaco team was a few years ago, the last team, by the way, to break up the PSG stranglehold on the title. So to see them gutted in this way, Renato Sanchez likely be the next one out the door. But... Bernardo Sanchez would be interesting, but again, it tells me nothing. It's like what we did with the Danny, the Donny Van de Beek a few weeks ago. Donny yeah. Van de Beek, Fabian Ruiz, Andriano Rabiot, Wijnaldum before, you name it. There's a profile that Kuman is asking for, and the club, I think, yeah. whether it's through rumors or otherwise, is placating the idea that they are looking for that player, whether or not that player ever comes. Saul was probably the most likely and the, the best rumor out there. I mean, I think it really was. I mean, Wijnaldum, of course... It was Barca or PSG, and he chose PSG. So that yes. rumor was real. And then the Saul deal is the other rumor that is very, very real. That whether it's alive or dead, we, that's up in the air. That's between the clubs that negotiate. But there is clearly discussions that are actually, actually happening. Yeah, I mean, I was I was delighted at the at the prospect of the Saul thing. And, I mean, some of the stuff that I saw, I think it was, was it over the weekend or maybe like late last week, before I actually saw saw some of the details i saw just some like tweets alluding to to it and there was people who were just kind of saying like oh my god saul and they're able to and just when i thought that it was somehow a done deal and that's on me because none of these deals are ever so quickly consummated (laughs) and i mean you you know rumor circuit (laughs) yeah you know the barcelona podcast motto here that until they're holding the jersey we (laughs) we, you can't get on board yeah it's really true and but so i started to get really excited because i mean Saul is i mean in addition to sort of the 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 accounting side of it which would be 
useful. I mean, Saul is the the type of player that I think would be fantastic at Barca. And I mean, just personally, I've I've kind of really enjoyed watching him play. I really like him a lot as a player. So I mean, I think yeah, like the the Ronaldo Sanchez thing, I didn't really take it too seriously for the problem that I mean, and I hate to keep bringing it back to this, but you know. If you want to register Messi, you got to clear the decks mm-hmm. and more players bringing in more players who earn salaries is not the way to do that. Yeah. And so that was part of the thing. I mean, I saw it and I was like, what are we doing here? Unless you've actually got something in place, you know, unless you've really kind of got some ducks in a row to offload, you know, whether it's Lengue or Umtiti or, you know, whomever else, this just doesn't doesn't make sense to me and so i mean i think ronaldo sanchez is a a good player but i mean i i didn't kind of engage with it as far as oh he might be coming to barcelona because it just it didn't make sense like from a logical perspective i mean there's there's other ducks that so many other ducks that need to go into a row before we can start just kind of adding sort of these other pieces like that yeah i mean that said though with sanchez if barcelona had any money at all this one actually would make a lot of sense. I mean, it's an interesting journey he's had, though. He'll be 24 next month, breaking onto the scene to 2016 Euros for Portugal when he was still in his first season with the Benfica first team. Um, then he gets it's that wild big... that he's only 24 still. Right, because he gets that big move to, to Bayern Munich, and he sets the yeah. world aflame in 2016. Again, that's five years ago. Gets that big move to Bayern Munich. Does not fit in in one season there at all. Leaves for Swansea on loan in the... Uh, that's right, yeah. yeah, and so... Then he tries the Bayern thing one other year, and the second year somehow goes even worse than the first one. That doesn't work. And then he sold to Leo in the summer of 2019 for a bit more than half of what Bayern paid for. And I yeah. think, you know, this is me throwing shade at Bayern, but because Bayern is so good at burying their faults and the problems they made or the signing that didn't work out, they're so good at saying, hey, but we made a lot of great signings. So shh. Yeah. Remember when we got Neuer for from Schalke? What a great piece of business that was! And they, you know, they I think Bayern does a really good job PR wise, especially with the German apparatus behind them of kind of gaslighting yeah. world football. That they every move they make is Lewandowski and Matt Hummels, yeah. and they're all free transfers that work out great. Uh, but yeah, that doesn't work out, so they sell him for about half of what they paid for to Lille, and then he's really good at Lille when they win the title. And, and he wasn't even one of their most important players. I don't think he was even top five, one of their best players, but he was an important cog of that machine. And then he was just like uh, for Portugal's Euros. He was an important cog of that machine, even if though yeah. he wasn't one of their standout players. And so to see him go from this mercurial teenager who it felt like all eyes were always on him to now just being a cog of a system has showed me growth. It showed that he's now in, he's gone through a lot of failures and iterations. And for me, this is unrelated to Barca. I'm always interested and excited to see a reclamation project like that. And to see a player kind of figure out who they need to be as a professional to play. Again, Lille is no giant, but they are league on winners. They did win the French league. That is something to be said there. PSG. Yeah. Exactly. They had enough to, to do and, and I think he was just kind of miscast early in his career or, you know, sort of it was and, and I don't mean too much too soon for, you know, for him as a as a person as much as like, you know, there was just so much put on him in terms of expectation. And just when you're going to Bayern for a big price, there's a level of scrutiny in a spotlight that you've probably never had before. And I mean, he was what he was 17, 18 when he went there. And it was. I guess he would have been 19, but I mean, 
that's a really young age to just try to sort of slide into the Bayern team and just, yeah. you know, be a, be a meaningful, not just a meaningful contributor, but sort of at that point, there's almost expectations that you're ascending to stardom, you know, and it's just, so that didn't work out for him. But like you, I'm really glad that he kind of, I mean, he spent those few years in the wilderness, like he was yeah. just kind of bouncing around and but it is really nice to see that his, that his career is kind of on the path we've heard heard two good player and we've heard too in the past in that Bayern Munich locker room that if you're a young player they are wolves they will eat you alive and if you are not German they're going to double eat you up so you have to you have to speak German to defend yourself and if you don't speak German you're a 19 year old Portuguese player they're going to eat you alive as as they did and so the other one too that I was thinking of when you said that is Mikel Moreno he went from being a cast off he failed at Dortmund not failed but it didn't work out at Dortmund it didn't work out at Newcastle and yet he's only like 25 26 years old Mikel Moreno and had the best season of his career with Real Sociedad these last two years yeah And, and he's he's that's what I mean so but and same thing with Saul Saul's now 26 years old, and he had the two worst seasons of his career since he was 20 years old when he came in Atletico Madrid. So these yep. midfielders are not dead. And for all the 18 and 19-year-olds attacking midfielders that Barcelona have, if Demir, I mean, let's say Barcelona do spend the 10 million euros because he impresses enough, and then he doesn't do well as a 19 or 20-year-old, I, I mean, just, I, I, want, I, want, I want to end this by adding context that, once again, Puj is still just even 21 years old, going to be 22. Right. So, these players, there is a lot of time when we are completely spoiled and our idea of talent is it's demonstrably, um, we'll say, shot off course when you have Ansu Fati and Pedri at 17 doing what they did and 18 doing yeah. what they did. I want to remind you that 21 years old, players should be kind of figuring out who they are as a first team player and breaking yeah. into teams and finding a role. And then by 23, 24, they're starters and important members of their team. And this yep. is the path that Sancho's take, uh, Sanchez take, took. This is the path that Marino take. This is the path that Sewell was a bit early to that. But now he has to, again, fight again for another spot. And he'll have to go to another club to, to revitalize his career. But he still does 26. He's got, what, six, seven, eight years at the top level at that position still? Yeah, at, the, at kind of the peak of his physical abilities. Yep. Yeah. So, again, no, totally patience. Good. And when we watch the preseason on Wednesday, I guess that's the through line here. We just need patience. <laughs> we just get excited yeah. about these young players. But also, again, Gabi is 16 years old. So he's going to do something. I promise. This is my only promise. He's going to do something that you're going to go, how is this kid not starting for the first team? He's going to do one thing that's going to make you say that. And then I want to remind you that he's 16. Be patient. Have some patience. And just like it took Iniesta till 21, it took Xavi till 23. Just, yeah, he'll get there. Well, yeah, I think you and I have talked about this in, in recent weeks in the past. It's like they're not all Mbappe and they're not all messy. We're kind of at 19, it's this kind of gleaming light that is the sort of the undisputed future of the game. Mm-hmm. Good players sometimes take, you know, sometimes you need. I mean, and it's really funny because in the context of sort of real life, it's you know, like. In it's real true. life, you're not expected to have everything figured out when you're 22 or 23. <laughs> yeah, right. But if the person, yeah, if my grocer, when, as I'm at the yeah. grocery store, if if my cashier is 19 years old, I go, ah, he was really rough with my bananas and my blueberries and <laughs> because he's 19 yeah, years old. write him off. <laughs> <laughs> right. He has no future. Yeah. <laughs> Just, yeah. yeah. But like, but here it's like, you see like a Messi or an Mbappe and then you see like kind of a precocious young talent. And you're like, 
oh, well, they're not all like that. There's a reason we talk, call these guys like generational once in a lifetime players. Sometimes like you're very talented and it takes you until 22 or 23 to really find your stride and your physical maturity and everything else. So yeah, I mean, it's kind of like that. I mean, I just want to see what's encouraging about these guys and kind of how they're, how they're decision-making. It's really that it's kind of process over result at this point, just kind of how do they, how do they approach the game and how do they sort of, yeah, how do they, how do they do it? Like when, when they get, when they get the ball, what is their decision-making process? What is their first move? What is their first kind of inclination? And sort of everything from there, sort of the the results will kind of work themselves out if the process is good over time. Yep. And so we're excited on Wednesday again against Amnastique. And then it's another one on Saturday. And then they've yep. got one against Stuttgart the following week. So there is preseason. It is among it is upon us. Again, we're not going to be too much into it, but still you can be excited for the players that are now playing alongside some of the legends of the game, like PK and as the other we'll say quote unquote legends trickle in. Not quote unquote, Messi's a legend, but there the other <laughs> legends trickle back. <laughs> Pedri's almost a legend already, I guess. But so as they trickle yeah. back in, those first team players and these youngsters get less and less time throughout the the preseason friendlies again still a reminder that there is work to do with the squad there's still changes to be made there's still players to go out i doubt we'll see too many in maybe if it is mm-hmm. it's going to be a central midfielder uh and we you know i think we beat that 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 to, the dead horse to death so here we go yeah. that's it uh i think that's that'll wrap it up for another edition of the show we're on twitter and instagram at the barcelona pod you can join our closed facebook group the barcelona podcast answer the questions and i'll let you into the group then on patreon is how you can financially support the show that's always very 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 appreciated you can also listen to these shows without ads over on patreon so a little incentive to support the show and we're on youtube still trying to figure out for those who are always with us at the end you know you get little nuggets of my brainstorming and what i thought about on vacation so when it comes to the youtube channel i've got a few things in the works i'm not sure if i'm going to do match reviews this year i'm 50 50 on it uh just because it was a lot of time for you know let's say not much reward on youtube and the the audience on there for those who do tune in on YouTube, I appreciate it. But some of the comments there are the ones that are, they're not as nice as this podcasting community and and, and even the Facebook community um, on a close Facebook group. So I'm going to see what I'm going to do on YouTube this year. It might be more weekly recaps, if you will, uh, instead of actual match reviews. So got to figure out exactly what I'm going to do there. But most importantly, thank you for listening to this, the Barcelona podcast in your ears. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon in Forza Barca. Forza Barca.